You're listening to the Comic Book Informer Podcast with Vince and Raj, a podcast for everyone from comic nerds to comic noobs. You know who you are. Now here's your host, Vince. Hello, everybody, and welcome to issue 204 of the Comic Book Informer Podcast, coming to you on February 24th. I'm Vince, along with Raj. How you doing this week, man? I'm doing all right. Yeah, all right. So this was actually a pretty fun week for deciding. Like, I'm actually planning ahead for the first time. Dude, I opened up the freaking site, and it was like show notes forever. I'm going, Jesus, what the hell? Well, remember that great idea I had? I finally remembered it. <laughs> But as for today's episode, a couple weeks ago, DC re-released one of their old Batman stories. Hold on a second. What? There was some freaking news. You don't want to talk about the news? What news? Spider-Man might be Miles. Eh, That's not news. That's rumor and conjecture. Which is what we like to call in the podcasting biz, news. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's it's a possibility. It's the way they're talking. Pretty big possibility. Yeah, I'm hearing from inside sources that there's a very good chance that Spider-Man will not be a white guy. That doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be Miles, per se. Uh, they may just, you know, cast a, a minority <laughs> actor as Peter Parker, which well, they, I'm sure would go over fantastically if you've been following Dan Slott's Twitter feed. They said it could be. Oh, really? That I haven't seen, actually. What did oh, he have my to say? goodness. He's been hilarious. The way Because everybody's yelling at him because he just said Peter doesn't have to be white. And oh, geez. If you thought people were pissed off when he killed Peter. <laughs> <laughs> That's hysterical. The thought that Peter could be Asian or Hispanic or African-American. Oh, oh my God. What I thought was funny is the source that they were quoting a lot was saying, like, he could be black, could be Hispanic. And I'm going, you basically just described Miles Morales. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, but the, the only, and it, it's obviously not a problem because we love freaking Miles Morales. But if they put Miles in, then they're playing willy-nilly with Ultimates universe as well as regular universe kind of thing. And the, most well, of the, the people in could the care movies, less. it's been pretty you know, yeah. fluid as it is anyway. Yeah, so. but for somebody who actually follows them both, I, which isn't to say I wouldn't like to see a Miles Morales. God, I would kill to see an Ultimate Spider-Man that's Miles. That would be so freaking awesome. And and even the crew from the Ultimates for the, the X-Men and stuff like that, that would be freaking awesome. Not so we much a Fantastic Four. in a movie. Oh, my God. I hadn't even thought of that. <laughs> Jesus, that should be in the contract. If it's cast, if it's Miles Morales, Genki has by Brian to be. <laughs> God, that would be hysterical. But no, it's like the only thing is for me is that, again, the Ultimates versus the, the regular. But I, I could care less if he's if Peter's white. Who cares? Yeah, and, and that's what the prevailing argument is. Spider-Man and Peter Parker specifically isn't – who he is because, you know, he's like, oh, he's always been white. I'm like, yeah, it's because he was created in the 60s and, well, By everybody created in the 60s was white unless they were a villain <laughs> or very obviously a minority character like Black Panther or somebody. But the thing that makes Peter such a great character is he's relatable to everybody. Peter could be anyone, yep. especially someone from New York, you know, living in Queens. I mean, it's it, it's actually kind of against his character for him to be a white guy. Almost. At this point, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, whatever direction they go in, uh, 
yeah, I, I'm fully accepting of any interpretation of Peter Parker or Miles Morales and oh, what have you yeah. on screen. It, it actually got me excited. That was the thing. It, it, less so because they kept saying Peter doesn't have to be white. And it's like, I don't even put Peter, put Miles. And that's something that I've mentioned before, too, because they, they've been changing a lot of characters to make them into visible minorities or, or whatever. And that's fine, obviously. But one of the things that I said that they should be doing as well is just create mm-hmm. new characters that are not white. And, and then you don't have to, you know, change other characters. Well, you can as well. But what I mean is create something so that it can be its own character, whether it's male or female or whatever. And we've been seeing more of that. And Miles is a perfect example of that. And he's proven by his popularity and how much we freaking love him that, I mean, it works. So I would love it to be not a, you know, Miles as Peter, but no, just make it freaking Miles. He's an awesome character. I'd love to see him in a movie. And Miles is actually a character that can be easily inserted into the movie continuity, especially given what we found out over the last couple of months about his dad and everything. Oh, it's, yeah. It's yeah. definitely something that they could plug in a lot easier than Peter Parker. Yeah. Yeah. And I, again, I, it, it literally got me excited that instead of seeing the same old origin story for Peter that we've seen how many freaking times now, this would be something new and fresh and, and original and great and different actors that they can give this opportunity to as well and things like that. Man. I forget who it was on Twitter made the greatest casting call of all time. If you're going to go with Peter Parker and make him black, cast Morgan Freeman as Uncle Ben. Oh, God. Oh, God. (laughs) Jesus. Yeah, no kidding. All right. Are we ready to move on? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yes. So as I was saying, DC re-released one of their old uh, comics uh, in a new trade paperback a few weeks ago. Uh, Batman Dark Knight Dark City, originally released in 1990. It ran through Batman 452 to 454. I thought this seems pretty good. A lot of people were raving about it. How it was like, you know, a lost classic. So I was like, we got a podcast. We'll check it out. Written by Peter Milligan, art by Kieran Dwyer, Dennis Janke, and Adrienne Roy. Also notable for Mike Mignola doing the covers. God, they're glorious. Yeah, no kidding. This was definitely a different Batman story. <laughs> I it was, it was much darker, which I hate using that because of the how many darks do we have in a freaking There's title. really no other way to describe it, though. But, yeah, it is. Like, when that... The one scene with the baby where he's driving and you oh. really think for a moment there, it's like, holy geez, did they cross a line here? Like, <laughs> is it, did they actually do this? Because it's believable up to that point that, you know, it's possible. It, it's, it's actually possible. So there's, we'll go into it more. Some of the aspects I wasn't as crazy about, but there were some elements that were, that were nice and fun to read for a, a Batman story, especially a, a decent Riddler story as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the story starts off actually in 1764, Old Gotham, with a group of you know higher ups. They ne- they're never really given names other than Thomas Jefferson yeah. was one of their members. <laughs> kind of just throwing that randomly in there. Who have decided in order to attain great power, they are going to summon the demon Barbathos. And they, of course, bring in a scantily clad young woman that they're going to sacrifice that will allow them to control the demon. Uh, they end up having second thoughts. Thomas Jefferson turns into a little wuss. And things go amiss. A little wuss for not wanting to sacrifice a woman. 
a little wuss. I, I kind of love it. How he's you like, wait, wait, we're actually a... going to do this? And like, what did you think we were going to do? <laughs> you know, there's times when I think I've got a little bit of a moral bankrupt thing going on for some things. And then you say things like that and I go, wow, <laughs> I feel better about myself. All I'm saying is if you're on board with everything up to that point. Don't be a wuss. Not, what you're saying. Not saying if, if, I would have been. If you're going up to that point, don't oh, yes, be a wuss. Hail the DMN. Oh, yes. You must prepare the sacrifice. Here's the dagger. Wait, you're actually going to stab her with it? <laughs> it's just, Yes. This this tops even more than it really does. <laughs> Keep going. <laughs> and then, of course, we flash to present day Gotham. And as you said, this is a very much a Riddler story uh, with, you know, Commissioner Gordon calling in the Batman where Riddler actually called into the police department requesting Batman. This wasn't just some bank robbery he stumbled across. No, no. There's definitely a game that the Riddler has set up here. And as you said, as a Riddler story with following the clues and all that stuff, uh, this is one of the more enjoyable ones I've read from the crime fighting standpoint. Let me point that out. <laughs> well, the also the lengths that he goes through too. And like this borders on like Joker insanity. Oh. At points with the violence and everything, I think too, it exceeds Joker oh, yeah. insanity. So, points. yeah, you're you're reading this and you're thinking, this is kind of what I would expect from a Joker story, not a Riddler. And I liked that. I liked that it was this far harsher twist on a character that's normally much more cerebral and not about <laughs> killing everybody. So, I I kind of like that aspect. Yeah, as you say, the Riddler is far more vicious in the story than we've seen him before or honestly since that I can think of where he's just straight up shooting people in the face and, and setting up these bizarre sacrifices. Like he has this security guard you know, strung up by his neck and precariously balanced on, on some books. And you're thinking this is you know, the first encounter Batman has with him in the story. Like, OK, yeah, this is the typical Riddler thing of, oh, yeah, he's just going to set up something to screw with Batman. And then, no, he just straight up tries to kill the guy. <laughs> Well, he kills the other one before. Yeah, and like I said, he, he blows the, the one guard's head off. And we find out he's kidnapped four infant babies and has them set up in these elaborate like, puzzles for Batman to solve. Or It's like seemingly, like you said, there's one scene where Batman is chasing Riddler through the streets of Gotham in the Batmobile, you know, careening down the alleyways at high speed. And then there's just suddenly a baby laying in the middle of the street and... It, they definitely sold the thought that Batman had run over this kid in the Batmobile. Like, I bought it. The The way that it's laid out on the pages, that that one page where you see the baby and then you see him, like, slamming the brakes and that expression where he's screaming no, you're like, oh, my God. And I think they framed the other page the way that they did on purpose so that you don't think for too long that this, in fact, happened. Because the first few panels, you're the first two at the top, he's, like, about to lose it because he's talking about having, you know, felt the bump underneath mm -hmm. like hitting him and he's describing what it might be. And you're like, and immediately at the bottom, you can see him holding the baby. So I think they kind of played it a little safe on purpose there. 
and I kind of would have liked it if they didn't. It would have been so much more gripping if you didn't. I'm the weird one, but you wish they had made you thought he'd killed a baby. They did anyways. <laughs> you wish they'd done a more convincing job. Well, let it be like at the back of your head wondering for maybe one more page just so that you have to flip the page to at least get that relief. Because mm-hmm. it is, like you're saying, it's played so well. I mean, Jesus, he's covered in blood at the time, too, and oh, everything. God, and yeah. it's like, like, this is a sick moment. It just should have dragged on just a touch longer is all I'm saying. Yeah, like that, that scene especially, as well as many others throughout the comics, had a really great combination of, of writing and art. Like, Kieran Dwyer, for early 90s art, like, this is before, like, the Liefeld, Jim Lee style really caught on. But it's kind of... Just after the you know the John Byrne era and all that, it, it was very good for the time. You know, very solid. Like the coloring, you know, again, it's of the times. I can only imagine what this kind of would have looked like with a little more uh, of a modern coloring job yeah. to it. Yeah. And then the way Milligan writes Batman, like normally I can't stand a comic that has so much narrative caption, but this is a story that it really works for. Like you are inside Batman's head throughout this entire story and the absolute fear he is feeling that in that scene is just palpable. It it really worked well. I will actually say, I think that there was a little too much narrative. It was good. I I will agree, Mm -hmm. but I think there actually was too much. And the other thing that bothered me, and this is, quite possibly just again something of the times is that the narrative squares changed colors basically yeah. the contrast as good as they could against whatever was happening on the page but that because of it modern gave ways, it the feeling of being a different voice exactly and and that i found that really really jarring as i was reading through it yeah that, again that's just the times time, yeah. like na- narrative boxes were just kind of becoming a thing around that time like that's when they were just getting rid of thought bubbles and moving into like the caption boxes so it's just kind of an awkward time for that yeah. storytelling technique as a whole so as the 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 case goes on you know, riddler is just scaling things up you know <laughs> robot zombies that was in awesome. the cemetery. <laughs> and now to this point where even his own henchmen are like what the hell's wrong with this guy like he kills one of his own subordinates and just to keep him quiet so that batman doesn't find out what's going on and the way they're like no we have batman you know dead to rights like we could take the bat out and riddler purposefully saves him like there's they definitely set up throughout the story that not only is riddler being more extreme than usual but there's there's something wrong with him as well this isn't just taking out one of the henchmen. It's a freaking collar that blows oh, yeah. like, up this on his neck. Oh, yeah, something he set up ahead of time. It's a, it's a collar that blows his neck up. Again, it's not a, you know, he shoots him in the back or something like that. This is an elaborate, gruesome death that's, again, shocking as well. Mm-hmm. And then they get to one of the scenes that I wasn't that... Uh crazy about where he gets attacked by the the dogs i, I didn't really care for that scene <laughs> that's because you probably like apparent reasons <laughs> yeah <laughs> actually you know what's funny is as i was reading that i was thinking of you and and i think this is also probably more of the times mm-hmm. because it was more acceptable and there was less yeah, I'm Education sure if I had read this in done, 1990, it would have been like, oh, yeah, yeah of course. It's not a big deal, whereas now you, you look at it far differently. And I agree. I have grew up with dogs my whole life. I have two now. So, yeah, I read that and I went, ooh, that was too 
that that Batman wouldn't do that. But again, you got to remind yourself it's of the times. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was it was kind of a weird narrative shift where they they made it a point early on for Batman trying for non lethal means, and then two pages later, and up oh, just stab him. Like, it I don't know. It, yeah. Let's move on from that. Well, it was forced as well because he needed to do that for one of the right. stages of the, the from whatever the hell they called it there. So that's why it was staged as, as such. And, and uh, again, the, the Pitbull thing, um, that was very much of the, of the time. I mean, it's only recently, despite all the fact that there's so many, whether it's a state or here up here, provinces that in towns that don't allow you to breed pit bulls at all anymore. But at least there's more of an understanding that it is the breeders and the how the dog is raised from that point that's determining whether they're, they're mm-hmm. mean or not. So there's been a lot more education about that. But back then... Jesus, pit bulls had like their reputation isn't good now. It was a lot worse back then. So no, to I, I totally toss understand. them in. It was the obvious canine villain. And then, quite possibly one of the most bizarre scenes in the comic, and that's saying a lot: the Enter the Dragon House of Mirrors fight with a goat and a flamethrower. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to explain that to you, people. You know what I kept thinking of. Did you ever watch, um, God, that gangster movie, Get Shorty? Mm -hmm. Did you ever watch it? It's been so long, but yeah, I remember watching it. all in the car and driving around and Patrick Warburton is in the back seat and they run over a goat and it flips over the car. And as they keep driving on, on deadpan, Warburton just asks, was that a goat? (laughs) And I'm reading this, and in my head, I can hear Warburton saying, is that a goat? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I was wondering how you were going to tie Get Shorty into this. But it but made it, sense. Yep. You, you got there. <laughs> so by the time we get to the end of the story, we kind of get a handle on what's going on here. Essentially, uh, the Riddler has been in part possessed by the demon to – set up this elaborate series of events that is basically preparing Batman to be the next sacrifice. And they go into all this because, as they established, they, they had made the original sacrifice, the, the human, or the bat in human form, or exactly how they said it, which, of course, is Batman. And even going so far as to say the entire time the demon was trapped in the original uh, cellar that was you know, paved over and built over for centuries that it became a part of Gotham and kind of that's why Batman became who he was because Gotham influenced it. And there's a lot of different ways to, to look at this. Of course, there's the literal uh, meaning, which I, I'm pretty sure is the direction Milligan was going with it. If, you know, this is actually a demon that actually possessed bits of Gotham and led to this point. And from that aspect, okay, it, it's a fine standalone story, I would say. Yeah, it's one of those that... I, as I read it, I had to separate it from regular canon as just right. being yet another possibility. Because I call me old school. I like the original. It's his parents died and he turned into the bat kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So I like that. So whenever they introduce more of these, you know, like this here too, the whole ceremony at the beginning where it's of the bat and 
for me, as much as I enjoyed this this little story arc, I, I shouldn't say a little story at this story arc. Initially, I was like groaning and thinking, "Oh Christ, it's going to be one of these kind of things," and because I I don't like it when they try to reinvent and the the reasons why he's Batman and all that. It comes through fine at the end, and it is enjoyable. It's way kind of supernatural at the end with the demon and everything else kind of thing. But I was on board. And again, it was one of those where I looked at it as a possible reason why or something that just – the writer took some liberties just to try to have fun with it. See, and that's why looking back on it now that I've read it, I I prefer to look at it as more symbolic than literal. There, Where, yes, there are – dark aspects of Gotham. And as we've seen, Gotham has been this, you know, pit of despair for so many years. It's gotten worse and worse. So yes, in some ways, the city of Gotham made Batman who he is. And also at the same time, tying a lot of these more obscure elements in actually comes across pretty well now that we've been reading Scott Snyder's Batman. Like it's, there's definitely a parallel to be seen between those early scenes and what we know of the Court of Owls and yeah. a lot of the, the newer stuff. So I, I prefer to take the story less literally and more symbolic. And it actually fits quite well into modern day Batman when you look at it from that point of view. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, on its own, definitely like a crazy story, n- Unlike any Batman story I've ever read, and when you think about all the Batman comics that there have been over the decades, finding something that's so unique and has such a a tone and a voice of its own, that in and of itself is pretty special. Well, how often do we see Batman going up against quite literally impossible odds but it's always that man without fear kind of thing mm-hmm. and just goes in and has a plan? When you're seeing him doing that tracheotomy on the baby. Oh, I've geez, and I, I kind of mentally blocked out. Yeah. That and, scene. And, and he is like ready to freaking lose it and does not want to do this, but there's nothing else that he can do and, and goes forward with it. Like it's, it's such a rare moment where the character is not, it's not Batman. I mean, it's Bruce. It's not Batman. And it's like worried, like, oh, man, this is a child that I'm doing this to. Like, for that kind of storytelling throughout all of this, it's it's worth reading. Yeah, Peter Milligan has always been an interesting writer. He's kind of a guy that looks at characters from a different perspective and really guts down to like the core of what makes them who they are. Like the work he did on Hellblazer, I I know I was talking about, he was the last writer on Hellblazer before it got uh, canceled and brought over to the new 52 with Constantine. He wrote it for a couple years and I I loved the work he did with that character. He's written a lot of other stuff over the years that was while good were largely characters I didn't particularly care for, you know, just different styles and stuff. But he definitely has a knack for just, giving you unique takes on established characters. Yeah. This is worth reading if for no other reason to see a pantsless Batman too. (laughs) There you go. See, this is the problem artists, when you create skin tight outfits and your Mm -hmm. colorist doesn't realize that he's supposed to be wearing pants when he's running out of the burning basement and he's got the skeleton wrapped up in his cloak and he's got the boots on, but skin is showing where there should be pants. And it's the climax of the story. And it's like, why is Batman pantsless? What the hell? 
Well, that's why Batman, <laughs> Superman, and so many of the old school heroes wear the you know the tidy whities outside of their tights because in like a lot of the black and white comics, if there wasn't that extra differently colored layer there, they actually did look naked. Yeah. <laughs> this is freaking hysterical. I've got it up. Every time I look at it, I laugh. Oh, okay, I'm done. <laughs> you, you you mean it's your desktop and you glare at it longingly. Who wouldn't? Come on, look at those legs. <laughs> okay. What else we've been reading? <laughs> Again, I usually save the X-Men stuff for you, but I've decided to steal it this week with the latest Uncanny X-Men. Are you caught up on that one? I actually was reading um, 30 today. Mm-hmm. And freaking digging it love oh it. yeah and so i am next one tonight i'll be reading the next one so i'm, I'm not going to spoil anything then but uh 31 is finally the end of the last will and testament of charles xavier and i i don't want to say the ending is kind of a cop-out but they definitely took the path of least resistance and some of the stuff with scott is like eh, okay this is they haven't done anything much interesting with scott in years anyway but Ava is by far the star of this story, and I can't get enough of that character. Ever since those annuals came out, she's been one of my favorite X-Men characters, and her role in this story absolutely lives up to that. Well, she's the one that sells us. Nobody else. Like, this story arc is is all about her. The others are trying to have their moments. But what's fantastic about this character, and they're realizing that as they write it, is that – this character went from in the timeline being a teenager trying to come to grips with her powers to an adult. I mean, she's an adult in a teenager's body, but she was an adult with a child, married. Like she's had a, a, a life's worth of experience now. Well, not a full life, but quite a bit. And she's now in this body. So like when you're seeing her going toe-to-toe with Charles in conversations. And when he oh, makes that comment... Me, it gets better oh, with when, her and Charles. Yeah, when he makes that comment that I could just wipe your mind and make you keep walking away, and she makes a comment of, oh, this is the other Charles that I've heard about, the one that... What did she say? The one that teaches you one thing but says the hell with mm-hmm. it when it's inconvenient. I, I read that line and went, oh, oh yeah. That is oh. brilliant. So... We need to see so, so much more of this character. Mm-hmm. Epicolo's art. Oh. Oh, always. Always. Oh, my God. Yeah. And that is the most disappointing thing about this latest comic. It's obvious that Bendis needed a little more time and the story arc went one issue longer than it had to, which is something has, that has happened quite often with Bendis over the last few years. Because the cover for issue 31 is Havoc and Cyclops. Obviously, it's supposed to be picking up after uh, whatever the hell that thing was that just happened. I've already forgotten. Axis, that's the one where we saw at the end there, Havoc went off to live with Scott. And it is one of the most gorgeous covers I've seen so far this year. Absolutely wasted because it has nothing to do with the story. (laughs) That's par for the course for covers. Come on. Well, it, it's it's definitely something that's plagued Bendis recently. Like he had – there was this big comic 
uh, in Guardians of the Galaxy. And the cover was Captain Marvel. And it even had, like, the solicit text on the cover. In this issue, Captain Marvel joins the Guardians of the Galaxy. Not in the comic at all, because Bendis was running behind on the story. (laughs) But they'd already solicited it, that it was too late to kind of pull back. (laughs) Anyway, great story. Awesome cover. Doesn't fit. Uh, Speaking of amazing artwork, uh, I'm still reading Iron Fist uh, and... The story is out there like it's kind of weird and wacky and that's fine, but it's just gorgeous to look at. The stuff Carrie Andrews is doing on this comic is absolutely next level. I'm really going to have a good time once this is done sitting down and reading it in all one big chunk to kind of get a better handle on the story he's telling. But until then, God, it is just fantastic artistic comic. I'm waiting to read it all in one chunk later on. Mm hmm. We have the latest Thor. I have such mixed feelings on this comic. <laughs> Again, my biggest complaint so far through five issues now is Thor isn't the focus of this comic. Way too much time is being spent with the Odin son and him dealing with Odin and him trying to find out who has the hammer and It's an interesting story, don't get me wrong. But again, you marketed this new relaunch of Thor around this new character with the hammer. And over the course of five issues, I think there was one where she was in more pages than the old Thor was. It's not bad. Don't get me wrong. It's just disappointing. Yeah. Also, mixed emotions about the one scene she was in in this comic. Uh, I'm guessing you haven't read it. I haven't read that one. I'm actually too behind on it. Uh, she goes up against uh, Crusher Creel, the Absorbing Man, one of Thor's longtime arch villains. So it's definitely a big moment for her standing up to somebody of the power level. And it's hilarious on one hand because Crusher Creel's dialogue is basically cut and paste from comment sections of articles talking about the new Thor, which is funny, but it's like also a little heavy handed at the same time. You're like, OK, I get what you're doing here, but eh, maybe you could have gone about it a little better. And then after he or after she uh, kicks his butt, uh, his wife Titania shows up (laughs) and again, funny dialogue. Oh, you're the new Thor. Yeah, you're a girl. Yeah. Okay, I'll give you a pass on this one. Basically, she just surrenders like out of respect for what she's doing. Again, I get what we're doing, but it came across a little heavy handed. Like I enjoyed it, but at the same time, I was kind of shaking my head at it well the whole point of putting the female characters is that it's supposed to be the same thing that you're supposed to handle them in the same way mm-hmm. not make this big deal out of it and put a pointing flashing neon arrow on it saying girl so by doing this kind of thing yeah you think you're doing a nice little meta joke but you're just insulting it instead of just letting it speak for itself and just being this story about the female heroine exactly Speaking of female heroines, Bitch Planet. Uh, We talked about issue one, how we enjoyed it. But again, for me specifically, I wanted to know a little more about the world, about the story. We definitely got that issue two, uh, much more character-driven backstory. And then we got issue three, which was entirely the backstory of Penny Roll, the uh, overweight inmate. And I love this issue. I'm now really on board with this comic now that... I know it's more than just, I don't want to call it a gimmick, but it's definitely multidimensional where now that we've seen more of the society that has led to this female prison planet and 
how wrong it's gotten and just a lot of the backstory behind what's going on in the prison. I, I'm really liking this a lot more now. Cool. I still have to read three. Mm-hmm. All right. So what have you read? Um, okay. Hold on a second here. Oh, um, are you caught up with X-Force? Yes. I, I, it's been something I wanted to put into what we're reading for a while. I'm just having trouble putting it into words. Yeah, because it, I mean, it sounds weird <laughs> to say for an X-Force story arc, but it got weird. <laughs> no kidding. So it's one of those that's, I, I didn't really want to talk about it until it was as done as it could be. So we could see kind of everything that they were planning for it and whatnot. So there were elements that I really, really liked. And then elements that I was like, eh, the whole Phantom X going haywire. I got to tell you, not so much. I, mm-hmm. it, but I didn't like it from the get go when he was like, I'm better than, than everybody. I'm going to kill friggin' cable every day and things like that. I, I, I wasn't really digging that. It's not like it was a huge deal, like a deal breaker for me not to read it, but it didn't feel true to the character at all. And mm-hmm. so this whole megalomaniac kind of turning into this other thing just was jumping the rails. And again, that's saying a lot for this series. That said, there were elements that I did enjoy with the cable making copies of himself and how that was working out, especially when craps hitting the fan and and that hope is great. like just send them all out just that keep sending them yeah, that i really <laughs> that was awesome and uh especially later on when you see as uh dr nemesis is letting them out of the vats and he's just sending them in. yeah yeah when he's saying big battle upstairs go <laughs> um and then of course when actual cable shows up there's weight to that mm-hmm. then it's like okay he's had enough he he has to go out and actually make a stand, even though it quite likely will be his last. So there was weight to those moments that I really enjoyed kind of thing. I, the whole manner in which hope was handled, turning into this massive Messiah and then absorbing everybody's powers as well was way too roguish. And mm-hmm. I, I wasn't as crazy about that either. So again, there were elements that I really dug a lot and then other elements that just, I I wasn't digging nearly as much. And, and you want to talk about inner monologuing. Oh my God, freaking bone girl, whatever her name is. I can't remember. It's like, okay, it was funny the first few times this was done, mm-hmm. but now it's just, no, it's, it's not funny anymore. It's not, not enjoyable. So there were too many too many cleaned up endings as well where everything's wrapped up with a nice little bow, you know, to the point of freaking cable having his arm in his eye and stuff and, and hope being out of the coma and being all right. So to me, that doesn't fit with the idea of what X-Force has been either. So again, for all the good, there were also quite a few bad things that I didn't like as much. Yeah, I can definitely see where Spurrier was trying to go with this and the point he was trying to make with the characters and in, in hopes 
kind of interactions with everything and everybody. I th- I just feel like he kind of lost control of it at a point. Yeah, definitely. Like, like like the story and the characters became their own entity out of out of his hands. Yeah. And once he was finally able to wrestle control of the story, he had three pages left. Yeah. Like that. That's just kind of the feeling I get. It, it wasn't bad. It just it wasn't what we've come to expect from him. Not especially. at all. Not at all. Not at all. If we look at some of the other X-Force stuff that we've seen, not just his, but going back the last couple of years, I mean, we've seen some wild freaking stuff, but for the most part, it's been awesome. Been really, really, really good. This was just the, the, the sharks were lining up for him to jump. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't crazy about the art. The art's been wildly inconsistent all across this whole run. Yeah. Uh, Autumn Lands. You read the of course. Lands? Okay. What did you think about it? <laughs> I thought it was a very good chapter of the story. I think it's one of those things where the first three issues, like each individual issue was so fantastic that when you have an issue – like this is something we talked about in other comics. When you have an issue that's just average – you can't help but be disappointed. <laughs> I didn't think it was just average because parts of it were phenomenal, like mm-hmm. all of the other ones. Absolutely phenomenal. But what it felt like is it felt like the editor went through and cut pages out. It was jarring at point how how it, it bounced between different action scenes and things like that. And it quite literally felt like there were panels or pages that were taken out. It was, I, I really found it jarring a lot of like throughout a lot of the story and some of the panels simply didn't work at all. Little story elements didn't, in my opinion, didn't work at all, didn't need to be there or were not nearly as well written. I, it's not just that I thought it was average. I was actually disappointed in this one Hmm. for, again, there were some moments that were as spectacular as all the other prior episodes, but as an issue, I was kind of disappointed in this. All right. Um, Invincible, 117. Oh, my God. (laughs) They just basically (laughs) screw this crap. We're finding ourselves another planet. (laughs) So I, as good as every other one, we're talking about stupid meta crap earlier. This really was very heavy handed meta crap when he's in the comic book. We've store. seen that so many times before in this comic though. Not to this degree. I don't feel I, anytime he's talking about science dog. Yeah. Oh, not, I did not think to this degree. This was like, Oh my God. It was that, that little panel strip. There was horrible. Um, although I did like it. When the kid calls him lame for reading <laughs> comics, is like, no, you're lame. <laughs> um, yeah, good, good issue. It's, although I did find that it was in terms of what we've been reading so far of him saying he just can't let it go to now all of a sudden, screw it, let's just go to another planet. Kind of doesn't line up all the way for me. I can see the the reasoning. The other thing, the obvious thing where the scene where she's getting romantic and mm-hmm. he's like, can't have it. And it's like, we're, st- we're not being inundated with this. 
So it's not like he's trying to use it as a selling point for the feature for the, 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 I, any of these issues or anything, but it's there. And as we've said in every other episode where we've discussed this, it's well handled and it's, it's quite literally one page, but it's insanely impactful and leading to something that will be, I'm guessing insanely heartbreaking when he oh, finally yeah. lets go and talks about it. It's going to just rip us apart. It, um, it's been very subtly and slowly escalating to the, where now we can see that, yeah, it's going to come to a head at some point soon. The, again, to go back to what I was saying, how it does not feel at all like he's trying to use this as a story device. I don't know about you, but it, despite the fact that we're, We've talked about this every time we talk about these things. I had to reread the page twice before I was like, oh, yeah, that's right. Mm -hmm. Because you don't remember it because so much else is happening in this freaking comic book and there's so much action and everything else that when you get to that point, you're like, what the hell is going? Oh, that's right. Yeah. And, and again, you really have to appreciate the really f soft touch that he's applying to this, which leads me again to believe that at one point it won't be a soft touch and it's going to freaking hurt. It's going to be powerful. I'm looking forward to reading it. Uh, I really am. On the other hand, I love how we're still getting the Thrag and Battle Beast. Yeah. Splash. <laughs> it, it's become like the Poyo splash page. Yeah. Of, by the way. <laughs> yeah. So this was, yeah, great issue. Really liked it a lot. Um, Justice League 3000. Did you give up on that or you still been reading it? I, I gave up because I was looking at this issue and then I opened it and the art was so atrocious. I was like, I can't, I can't. The stuff that's going on with um, the, 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 the sister that got turned into the Flash and with Wonder Woman and stuff like that, that's been kind of, you know, fun. Nothing spectacular, nothing near as good as what we saw previously with the other stuff, but enjoyable. Superman is turning into an annoyance, not just the comedy relief that he was initially, but now it's like, okay, you know what? I've pretty much had it with you as a character. I'm kind of hoping they find a way to kill him off or do something with him because it's just, it, mm -hmm. it's become an annoyance. But then the, the booster gold and blue beetle stuff is what takes up so much of the start. And it's like, I hate <laughs> what's going on there. So this is too bad because I'm still reading it, but I'm not always enjoying it. And for a series that I was so friggin' hyped about initially for quite a number of issues initially to now be like, Oh God, I got to read a justice league 3000. That's, that's not good. So I'm really hoping it kind of changes things up because if it keeps up like this, there will come a point where I'll just, I'll give up on it. Yeah. I, I I'm kind of like you where I was like, I was waiting for the comic to give me a reason to stop reading it. And it did. And it, it did. Yeah. Yeah. It's too bad. Um, for all the bitching about it, I am trying to keep up black vortex mm -hmm. chapter three. Did you read it? The star Lord one. Um, I don't want to say I'm liking it. Oh, you better not. 
<laughs> but it is at least a little fun. Uh, I'm not getting any fun. It's not good. Oh, God, but... no. <laughs> God, no. I, I, how long are they going to stretch out these people fighting issues. about whether That's or not they long. should? Because every issue, somebody else gets zapped. Oh my God. Is that what it's going to be? This entire run, 18 issues, one person gets zapped. Somebody else says, mm, maybe I will. And then gets stopped. Although that was funny when it was Iceman doing it. But, yes. uh, but I mean, yeah, I, this is, <laughs> I did not like this at all. At all. I'm keeping up with I, it because I, I have to. I'm not going to gonna defend it. But yeah, it, it's something we're reading to keep up with continuity. It's not the worst thing I've been forced to read. <laughs> okay. It's not, it's not Wolverines, but it's close. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. Uh, speaking of Miles Morales, latest Spider-Man, Ultimate Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. You read it? Yes, I did. Very curious what's going on there. Mm-hmm. Very freaking curious. Doing a good ganky <laughs> dance. Uh, I'm not embarrassed. <laughs> I love to, and I've said this time and time again, I love the Ultimates Universe Cloak and Dagger. I, yes. I, hell, I like them in the regular canon, but they're making them work here and work really, really freaking well. Like... Freaking Dagger's awesome here arguing with him about <laughs> his girlfriend and everything. And um, and yeah, it, this was just a fun read beginning to end with lots of points. Like when he's leaning against the the post and it's like, I can just let them do all the work for me. At this <laughs> Let's just watch. And it was like, it was such a Peter thing to do. And, and it was awesome. And then again, the stuff with Cloak and Dagger in there and then the... Um, the stuff with the his girlfriend's father and wherever that's going to lead us to. This was just a fantastic issue. And as per usual, the art in Ultimate Spider-Man wow. constantly makes me stop and look at the panels and appreciate the the, the work that goes into it. That's uh, David Marquez and Justin yeah. Ponsor. The, the, the art is so unbelievably beautiful every single panel and it's like i said go look back at dave marquez's first issue on ultimate spider-man i think it was before the latest relaunch it's good but it's gotten gotten steadily better each and every issue and i don't know if it can get better after this yeah when you're looking at a comic book and you are and i'm notorious for this because i often will use panels as wallpapers for my iPad or for my computers or whatever. So I'm always, I'm on the lookout for (laughs) nice panels. And when you're looking at this and you can't make up your mind of which of the freaking 10 panels you're going to use for a while, because they're all so amazing. Like some of these fight scenes are like, Jesus, just phenomenal. So, but yeah, the entirety of the, uh, the issue was just, I loved it. Started reading <laughs> the what is it called? It's from DC. It's one of these multiversity things. Oh, Masterman. You still haven't learned your lesson. Well, I have now. And this is Morrison writing mm-hmm. this. The first page is a full panel spread 
of Hitler on the toilet with his pants down reading a Superman issue, bitching about somebody who's quote-unquote bothering him, disturbing him while he's on the crapper. I read that, and I closed the comic book. There is nowhere you could possibly go that will redeem you for that. (laughs) Nowhere. Nowhere. Hitler on the crapper screaming about somebody disturbing his crap. You cannot redeem yourself or the comic from that point. Call me a little too persnickety because of that, but I'm all right with a lot of stupid jokes and fart jokes and you name it, fine, whatever. Enjoy your stupid jokes. Some of them even are funny. But that was like, you really, you, you think we're idiots. Yeah, I mean, there's nowhere you can take that that's going to make it all right. Rocket Raccoon, number eight, finishing yes. off the story on the frozen world. God, this was awesome. Great issue. This was so bloody awesome. And I know I bitched about the art, but I had made sure to say it's not that it was bad. It's just not Scotty Young, but it's still good. And we saw from this, like, it's not just that it's good. It's it's very. Yeah, this issue was very great. <laughs> good. The coloring, too, was just it's like looking at a watercolor painting every every page and beautifully written. I mean, serious moments adventure, tons of little joking moments as well kind of thing. The, the, that's that's, that's what, she, what said. she said. Oh, God, I laughed. So, like, this was just... <laughs> Who would have thought in the year 2015 you'd be laughing at it? That's you what still, she said, Joe. Yeah, you still laugh at that. that. That will never get old. It's just one of those things when properly done. Um, but, yeah, this was just a fantastic freaking issue. I love this lot. And, okay, well, first I'm going to do Wolverines because I have to. And then we'll end <laughs> on a high note. Um, yeah, Wolverines is terrible. Um, Moving on. You don't have to justify it anymore. It's just that, okay, just as an example, okay, <laughs> I have to rant about it. Okay. I, I, you, you put it in, now you have to get it out. There's, I need to know if people are actually enjoying this. Is it just me that thinks that this is horrible? I know you're the only person on the planet reading it. Okay. Okay, man. So, so freaking bad dude, genius guy here who's possessed by, is it, who is it? Ogun or whatever that's in him. I can't remember the name. And, um, He's the one with the mask calling all the shots, tactical guy and whatnot. And he's got all the, the, the put you to sleep words for all of the ex peeps and the, the, the can, all the command words and this and that. And they made such a big deal that they had to go and get the Wolverine statue. And then like, it's, it's X 23. Who's saying like, we don't have the statue. Who cares? Like whatever, like, let's just go. There's nothing more we can do. And then they're saying like, no, we still have you guys. We can still use you if we need to. Then why did you go after the statue? What was the point? You had them in a cage that they couldn't escape from. And now you're saying, ah, but we don't have the statue, but we have you guys. You're not in cages, but we can use you because you will have healing factors and that can save us. You had them in cages, went out on this stupid plan to retrieve 
a statue that's made of an unbreakable metal that you can't drill through to get to Wolverine to get his healing factor blood or whatever that was on the wonk anyways and not working. <laughs> but oh, we don't need that. We got you. And it was that one panel that it was like, that is almost all I needed to stop reading this. <laughs> Just that one bit almost of utter stupidity. I've come too far. <laughs> you know, you walk on flaming charcoals for two months and the finish line, you can see it. You're not going to turn around and run back. But you can jump off to the side. No, the sides are covered with logic and common <laughs> sense. So you can't go there because madness lays there. So no, you just, once you look back at what you've spent your life doing, you just have to keep going forward. And so, yeah. And it's like freaking mystique too. in this, this crap of, Oh, you're going to listen to me. I'm in charge or I'm going to sleep with your boyfriend. I'm going to pretend to be your father. I'm going to do this and I'll ruin your life. How is that different than any other day of the week for her? Please. Like, and, and so they all submit and I'm going like, Really? I can see it for some of the characters that are, you know, quote unquote, morally bankrupt, evil characters that you'd expect that from a villain. But someone like X-23 or whatever, it'd be like, no, screw you and just leave. Or the new Sabretooth. I've got so many freaking air quotes whenever I talk about Wolverines. It's unbelievable. My sarcastic air quotes. But uh, like the, the new Sabretooth. That used to be my thing. You stole yeah. it. Uh, he would leave. He would just say, screw you and leave. No, no, no. He's submitting to her. So everybody's listening to her. It's like, oh, my God. And it was, you with the mask, come here. Go get me that sword. You, I'm going to go steal this sword in China, heavily protected. Whole freaking Chinese army is going to be there. You just cause a distraction while I get the sword. No question of why. Why, what do I, why are we doing this? No, okay, let's go. When are we leaving? <laughs> really? How how would, how does that make sense? Like how how is this? It doesn't. It's horrible, horrible. I hated this, hated it, hated it. And yet I'll have to be reading it again this week. All right, let's end on a really positive note. Freaking silk. Yes. Now, I started reading this. And I'm looking at the guy who wrote it. So it's written by, oh, I'm going to have to pull it up here, Robbie Thompson. And I'm going, mm-hmm. who the hell is Robbie Thompson? I got no idea. That's exactly what I said. Yeah. So, but I'll read it anyways. Now, I will say right off the bat, the art was good, but I felt the art was far more, it was something that we would read more if we were reading a comic that was geared for a far younger audience. Um, you know, like something fairly young, about my pretty pony type of thing or whatever kind of thing. I did not feel that the art fit at all. There were a few panels that fit more, but overall I really didn't think so. I kept thinking in my head of all the other artists that could have been working on this, that would have made this amazing. I really enjoyed it. Oh, I wasn't crazy about it. Not at all. But then it's not until you get to the end and you find out freaking Robbie Thompson was one of the writers on Supernatural. And I don't know if they made that joke earlier in the issue. Yeah. I don't know if you, do you actually watch supernatural was one of those shows that 
I thought when we started watching it, because it was on Netflix and the wife and I were looking for a new show to start watching. So I thought, oh, this is just going to be one of those stupid kind of where it's the hunks that go hunting these beasts or whatever. And then you start watching and you realize it is so much more and it's actually freaking hysterical at points. It's well done. And it's actually a really, really good show. So we enjoy it. And I love the writing in it. The writing is so bloody good. So then after I realized that it was him who wrote this, it was like, oh my God, it makes sense now. And I I loved the writing in this. I absolutely adored the writing in this issue. Yeah, it was great. It, it had it had a very unique voice. Yeah. It's definitely, it doesn't, it doesn't read like a Spider-Man comic starring some girl. It's Cindy's Silk. comic. Yeah. This is her story. Yeah. <laughs> Silk sense. <laughs> it sounds like a shampoo. <laughs> <laughs> and the, the good talk from Spidey periodically all the time. Yes. It's like it's, it's still the voice of Spider-Man too. Like he's, you can picture him saying that. And we get like all the history too with her and her relationship with her mm-hmm. family and stuff. And like, there was so much to this that I really, really enjoyed a lot. The only thing, again, if they could get another artist, I i mean, you like it, and I'm sure that, and again, I'm not saying it was bad. I just didn't think that it fit at all at all. I, God, I would love to see this in somebody else's hands. It, like I said, I think it fit. Yeah, but I, well, they've got me. I, this is like working its yeah. way to the top of my reading list from now on everybody's making a big deal out of spider gwen but do not skip this one no not at all in fact we'll see what comes out of spider gwen i mm-hmm. mean i i like that character obviously a lot and all that but there's just something about silk's character that is so much fun because she's such a screwed up person you can't not be based on the life that she's had so far, not just the being bit by the spider grab, but being in solitary confinement for so many years is going to screw with your brain in such a big way. And it's so much fun to read her because of that. Like she's such a lovable character. Agreed. Okay. I'm done. All right. Well then for this week's new releases, Marvel brings us all new X-Men number 38, chapter four of the magic mirror, amazing Spider-Man number 15, the epilogue of Spider-Verse, amazing X-Men 17, Darth Vader number two, Deadpool number 42, new Avengers number 30, shield number three. As we said, Spider-Gwen number one also comes out this week. We have Spider-Man 2099 number nine and Thor annual number one. DC, we have Batman number 39, Batman Eternal number 47, as well as Gotham Academy number 5, and Gotham by Midnight number 4. It's so convenient they put out all the DC comics we're reading in the same week. Yeah, really. I can't wait to read that Batman, I swear to God. Oh, my. You finally read 38? <laughs> yeah, I, I'm, oh I'm on board. I've read them all, and it's like, oh, God, I cannot wait to see where he's going with this. <laughs> From Image, we have Chew number 46, which I'm sure is going to be even more depressing than the last few issues <laughs> were. We have Low number six and The Wicked and the Divine number eight. From IDW, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles number 43, as well as the first issue of their new miniseries, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Mutanimals, which follows Hob and his crew, Ooh. including Petey the Pigeon. <laughs> That's going to be awesome. And then rounding out the week from Valiant, we have Quantum and Woody Must Die, number two. 
So that's going to wrap us up here. As always, you can find us online at comicbookinformer.com or on Twitter at CBinformer. So until next week, thanks for listening. I've already gone long enough. Bullshit. You forgot. <laughs> no. You forgot Not and you didn't put it. You so Not forgot. at all. You did. It was it was in the nope. tip of my mind until halfway through nope. your what we're reading. Nope. No, I don't buy it. You are lying. You are the lying. Truth. No, it is not. <laughs> this is because of me remembering. Nope. For the Lord, it I most swear is. to you. I no, I don't. I don't. You could swear as much as you want <laughs> on your imaginary Spider-Man issue that you never did have. <laughs> you can swear <laughs> on that. I will not you're, believe you're you. still salty about that. Damn right. Because I believed you on that. And look at what that got me. (laughs) Still no music? Ha ha! (laughs) What? It's so funny. Oh, you can't hear it on your end. No. Oh, damn it. (laughs) Suffice suffice it to say... (laughs) There's music playing There's on music my loudly. Somewhere. I just have to guess the cue. <laughs> well, I can't use it now because I've been talking throughout it. I might as well turn it off. <laughs> oh, oh, God. Okay, in my defense. <laughs> Hold on, let me check something quickly. You don't hear necessarily everything that I'm hearing. I'm surprised that you didn't hear that, though. What what are the voices in your head telling you to do, Roger? Just to let it go and move on. It's all in my head. Screw it. Too bad. God. It's all on you now. (laughs) I I can play it so I can hear it and then sing along. It'll be probably more in key and time perfect. I'll even fade out. (laughs) did you hear that yeah (laughs) okay shut up well you don't shut up (laughs) i'm doing this for you (laughs) 